0: This morning, if you would turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Galatians, chapter 5. I have been usually going through this blessed book in the afternoon worship sermons, but I thought that I wanted to study a bit more on John 12, which I was in last Sunday. I want to study that last part of John 12 a little bit more, and so I thought I would take this particular message and bring it to you This morning about being led by the Spirit, there's so much in our day and our time of confusion, I think, about what that means, being led by the Spirit. So I hope to be able to answer that question for you, biblically. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time around your Word, and we pray, O Holy Spirit, that you will lead us further into the truth of how you lead us and the work that you do in our heart and our mind day by day. We pray also that we would see that we are a part of the greater body of Christ, your church, and help us to understand that you lead us to a greater involvement in that holy way as well, in terms of our being involved in a local church of your people. So bless us this morning as we study the subject we ask in Jesus' precious name, Amen. I'm going to read to you Galatians chapter 5. And I'm going to begin in verse 16. And read down to verse 18. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So at this hour, I want to look at the two ideas which are being conveyed to us here by the Apostle Paul. In verse 18, that of being led by the Spirit and are not being under the law. And this subject, I trust, will be something that will be profitable to us. It will bring us comfort and peace to us who are believing, especially if we have a tender conscience. And it will bring us strengthening to our faith and to our obedience as we go about to please our Lord in all that we do and say. First of all, what does it mean to be led by the Spirit? Well, to be led by the Spirit in the context of this passage is to be personally directed by the Holy Spirit's powerful working in your heart and your mind as a Christian. It's by His working that you will be led into a sincere obedience to the Word of God. You will be led into the will of God in every particular in relation to the truth of the Bible. This directing and working of the Holy Spirit leads you, the Christian, in your everyday experience in relation to two major activities which you will engage in. That is, first of all, if you are wise, you will be putting sin to death in your heart And in regard to the actions of your life, if they are sinful, and second, you will be pursuing righteousness and holiness in accordance with the truth and all the moral commands which are found in the Bible. Now, the Bible itself tells us that these activities do not take place to the glory of God and you're making progress in them without the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart And your life. So it's very important that you understand that all of these activities take place in connection with the fellowship and communion that you are having with the triune God as you go about to do them. There's a beginning in this leading of the Spirit. It begins when you hear the gospel concerning Christ. And then the Holy Spirit creates in you a thirst in your soul to know Christ and to desire to deal with your sins. I want you to look with me over at John chapter 7 and verses 37 to 39. It says here, On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, as you can see here, that... It is that the person who thirsts is the person who has a desire to know the meaning of life. The meaning of life is to know God and his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And a person must come to Jesus and drink in a spiritual sense to have eternal life. Whether you know it or not, this spiritual thirst is created in the heart of a person who is a sinner by nature and practice. In other words, a person is living their life to themselves, but they want to know the meaning of life. Perhaps they feel empty inside. They cannot figure out why they're so empty inside. And they think about God sometimes, and they think about whether they can come to know God, whether uh, God is real, whether God can personally reveal himself to them. They have this thirst, but I'm saying that thirst is created in them by the Holy Spirit. This desire to know the meaning of life is created in the heart of a person who's a sinner, who then comes to Jesus Christ because the Holy Spirit is working in his or her life. Now, you may have lived your life to yourself up until this point when you first have this thirst Or you may have been a very moral person who has thought seriously about the needs of other people around you, humanly speaking. But without the Holy Spirit's working, you will not come to have this thirst. With this thirst, having believed the gospel, you will come. And you will receive the gospel. And you will believe in Jesus Christ for your salvation. Because the Holy Spirit is working in your heart. We see here from these verses that the Spirit could not be given, it says here, in the formal sense to build the church of Jesus Christ until Jesus was glorified. That's what this verse means here. He was not given, the Spirit was not given until Christ finished His work in redeeming all of God's elect people, both Jew and Gentile, at the cross. Now, in Old Testament times, the Spirit was given to individual persons and they're being regenerated according to the will of God, being given life based upon what Jesus would come to do for them in his perfect obedience and his sufferings on the cross. And that work of regeneration was the same work of the Spirit For believers then, as it is now, in New Testament times. It was the same then also in terms of the circumcision of the heart. That is, taking away the hardness of the person, the sinner's heart. His resistance to the truth of needing to believe in Jesus. Needing to have a new heart in order to love God and serve God. But in New Testament times, when Christ came into the world and fulfilled his work of redeeming all of God's people, then he rose again from the dead. And after he arose, he ascended to heaven to sit at the right hand of God and he became the advocate with the Father. The intercessor on behalf of all of his people. The one who ever lives to make intercession for all of the saints. So the Father and the Son then gave the Holy Spirit to his great ministry of regenerating and transforming all those believers who trust in Jesus. And the saving and transforming of believers into the image of Christ was his special work which he was given to do. It's not as though that he didn't do this transformative work before Christ came in Old Testament times, but in his work in building the New Testament church in connection with the finished work of Christ and the gospel going forth to all the nations, this is what it meant for him to be given. He was given to reveal the glory and the power of Jesus Christ in the building of Christ's church, both in terms of individual believers and in terms of building of the church, which is Christ's mystical, spiritual body, the fullness, as it says in the book of John, of him who fills all and all. So the rivers of living water, which Jesus is speaking about here in John 7, are the rivers of spiritual life and power both to do what is right and also to bear witness to Christ's name in preaching and sharing the gospel, that his name is the only name given among men whereby men must be saved. Peter says at one point in the book of Acts, to bear witness to the gospel, is what uh, this power is for, what the Holy Spirit's working tends to and leads to and is being given in this way so that other people around us might know that there is a difference in our lives that's made not just simply by our own efforts, but by the Holy Spirit's good working in our lives. This was the greater work which the Spirit would be given to do after Jesus was glorified, I'm saying. And he would lead all believers then into all the reality of the life and the power of Jesus Christ to obey God's word and to do his will in accordance with your own truly wanting to do that will. His work of placing men in the spiritual body of Christ, his work of empowering them for service and the witness that they bear in relation to the building of the church of Jesus Christ, his work of transforming people into the likeness of Christ and their becoming righteous and holy people. This is all the work of the Holy Spirit I'm saying in these New Testament times. I want you to look with me over at John chapter 16 and verses 13 15. It says this, however, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you, all things that the Father has our mind. Therefore, I said that He will take of mine and declare it to you. Now, although these words have their primary reference in relation to the apostles and they're being given direct revelation from God so that they could write it down and it would become the New Testament scriptures, we should still understand that this work of guiding a believer into all the truth is a work which the Holy Spirit undertakes for every Christian. We are not guided, by the way, infallibly, as the apostles were in writing the scriptures. But we are most certainly being guided into the truth. And I'm saying it's a work that the Spirit undertakes for every true Christian. And we are not guided infallibly, that is to say, we don't always respond in obedience the way that we should, but we are being most definitely guided. This is what I want you to see. We're being led into all the truth of what the Lord would have for us as individual Christians. That is, as we trust in the Lord Jesus, and as we seek to understand the Bible to do it, we're going to find power to do so. And that power comes to us From the Holy Spirit. Let me give you an example of a man who was led by the Spirit to find Christ in this way that I'm talking about. For in his finding Christ, he would also find assurance and he would also find consolation. These are some of the very things that Paul is trying to teach us through this verse that we're studying here this morning Luke chapter 2, if you want to turn over there with me, very famous. Passage of scripture that's usually read around Christmas time, verses 25 to 32. It says here, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Now I hope that you'll understand that this man Simeon was a man who already knew the Lord before he had this great experience of being able to hold Christ in his arms. But I believe that there are spiritual lessons here on how the Lord leads a person which we can apply to ourselves. The Holy Spirit can lead us to a certain place, geographically even. He can lead us in such a way that we will find what we have been looking for, what we are looking for. He did so with Simeon. The Lord, the Holy Spirit, had already revealed to him that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. He believed what had been revealed to him now dear believer i must pause here and say and ask this question have you understood that great and precious promises have been given to you of what god will do for you through jesus christ the lord if you have understood that then will you not believe that in his time that he will answer all of your prayers which are according to his will. Will you not believe that he will bring to fruition your experience of the great and glorious things that he intends to give you? And he's going to do this freely in your experience, freely in your life, based upon the great sacrifice that he made in living his life for you and then dying for you on the cross, he leads the seeking soul, first of all, to salvation. And he leads the seeking saint, that is, you and I who believe in him, to find everlasting comfort and consolation by the grace of Christ. As Simeon was brought, he was led by the Spirit into the temple, At the very time that Jesus' parents were bringing him there. And Simeon knew that this was the child that he had been looking for. For such a long time, the one he called the consolation of Israel. He was looking for the consolation of Israel. The one who would be God's salvation. The one Jesus, the Savior and the Lord, of Israel first, and then a light of revelation also, it says here, to the Gentiles. He took him up in his arms. He knew the peace of God which passes all understanding. He knew that God would most definitely and certainly bring salvation to all of his dear people, even sinners who were unworthy of the least of his mercies. So I'm hoping that you will see That everything that you are looking for in life is directly related to how you are led. Are you looking to become more righteous and holy as a person? One who knows God and who is striving to be pleasing to God? Are you praying that his grace will be working in your heart, that his kingdom might advance through your efforts to promote it? Because success in these efforts will only come when you begin to pray that the Holy Spirit will lead you into the reality of pursuing and finding the spiritual realities of living a righteous and a holy life and holding sweet communion with your Lord and not grieving the Holy Spirit. Now, the Spirit's going to be striving with you to lead you to the place where you will be walking with Christ more closely. And if you're praying and seeking to overcome the world, and you greatly desire to mortify the fleshly desires of your heart, which would lead you astray from God, then the Holy Spirit will lead you, I'm saying, into the reality of spiritual victory in these areas of the meditation of your heart. Because it says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. The Lord knows how you think. And the Spirit knows how to lead you. I want you to look with me over at Matthew chapter 6. And these very famous verses in verses nine to thirteen it says this, and these are the words of Jesus concerning the Lord's prayer or the disciples' prayer, in this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts. As we forgive our debtors, watch this, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So you see that being led by the Spirit, you will learn to pray in this very way. Do not lead me into temptation but deliver me from evil or the evil one why should the christian pray this way he should pray this way because he knows that apart from the spirit's help and aid that he's very weak and he will not be able to stand against the temptations of satan or the desires of his flesh But the Christian prays to be delivered from evil when he's trusting in Christ. Let me ask very simply again, is this something that you are doing, dear Christian? Are you praying to be not led into temptation, but rather delivered from evil? That's the way that you and I should pray on a regular and daily basis basis, that we should pray that way. I want you to see some things here, too, about uh, Christ being led by the Spirit, because Christ was strong enough to overcome the evil one. And I want you to uh, think with me about Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1. This is when Jesus was... Going out into the wilderness, it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And I'm not going to relate to you the whole uh, series of temptations that Jesus went through. But I want you to see that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted By the devil. Why? So that he could overcome the temptations that were given to him, first of all, but also in doing that, in overcoming these temptations which were given to him personally, that he would overcome on our behalf. Do you see what I'm trying to drive at here? It's very important that we understand this, because when you understand that Jesus overcame all the temptations that came to him, they were, they were temptations to act independently from what the Father had said in the Word. Satan said, command these stones to become bread. Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds from the mouth of God, quoting the scripture, Old Testament Scripture there in Deuteronomy. And Jesus was led into temptation by the Spirit so that we could pray, I'm saying, and know the answer to our prayer, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. For to be led by the Spirit in the context of this passage is to be directed by the Holy Spirit's powerful and personal working in your heart and mind into a sincere obedience to the word, and the will of God in every particular. Now, second, we need to ask the question, what does Paul mean here when he says, you are not under law? Well, first we need to see that we are not under law as a covenant of works. And I want you to turn with me over to Romans chapter 3, verses 27 to 31. It says here, Paul says here, where is boasting done? It is excluded by what law of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised Through faith, do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. So we see here that we're not under the law as a covenant of works, as though salvation were by the works of the law. We are saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. But does this mean that we no longer have any responsibility to keep the specific commandments of the Ten Commandments? No. Christ, in fulfilling the law, it says here on our behalf, He established it. Do you see that? That He, by His perfect obedience to it, He fulfilled it and He has given it back to us to keep. And He's given it back to us to keep not in a rigorous way of the letter in a demanding sense of perfection, but out of love, rather going about, we'll go about to keep it and to do it by the grace of Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we do this out of love to God and Christ for giving us such a great salvation. It is our responsibility. I'm trying to show you to keep the commandments of God, but we are not under the law, which would condemn us at many points. Uh, even as a believer, uh, even if we if we tried to merit salvation, or we tried to uh, make ourselves acceptable to God through our the best of our good works, still it would not be sufficient. It would not be adequate. Why? Because it would not be perfect before the Almighty. So we need to see that Christ died in order to deliver us from the dominion of sin. That is the ruling, reigning power of sin in this life. And in the next, in the next life, he will deliver us from the very presence of sin altogether. And so we know that the power of sin is broken and that we have been set free. And so what is, the, what is the conclusion then? We ought not to let sin reign in our mortal bodies. Look at Romans chapter 6, verses 11 to 14. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey in, in its lusts, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. So you can see here Paul's reasoning, can't you? Your responsibility as a Christian is to present the members of your body to God as instruments of righteousness. Sin shall not have dominion over us because of what Christ has done for us in his perfect obedience to the law. This perfect obedience was imputed to us and received by us by faith and his sacrifice of sufferings and death is received in the same way by faith. And that's the basis of our being justified, declared righteous, forgiven of all of our transgressions and sins, the whole body of them. Not just one or two, or not just in the ongoing sense, but the whole body of sin that it might be done away with, as Paul says in another place. So you can see that this is our responsibility Can't you? Since sin will not have dominion, it won't have any ruling, reigning power over you. This is a good thing for you and I to think of. You don't have to sin. Now, I'm not saying that you don't have the flesh still remaining in you. You do have the flesh still remaining in you, but you do not have to sin. Because you have been set free from sin. And sin no longer can rule and reign over you because Christ has dethroned it in your life. Do you see that, dear Christian? If you see that, then you will make better progress in obedience in righteousness and in holiness because you will understand the basis for everything that you're doing in living the Christian life. is not you and your efforts, but it's Christ and what He's already done and what He's doing now and your life by the power of the holy spirit working in you to help you on to greater obedience and greater freedom to learn and do what is pleasing to god so the expectation of the holy spirit who is given to us is that that you would let him lead you into the truth and into all righteousness. He would have you to be led by him to go about to do and keep God's commandments out of love to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a, a legal obedience. It's a loving obedience to your great God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let me close by reading John 14 Verses 15 to 18 to you. The Lord Jesus says here. He says in John 14 verse 15. He says, if you love me. Keep my commandments. And I will pray the father. And he will give you another helper. That he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive. Because it neither sees him. Nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. So, when we believe in Jesus, I'm trying to say to you here this morning, then we receive the Holy Spirit to be with us, dwelling with us forever. The Lord will never leave you nor forsake you. In the person of his Holy Spirit, he will always be with you. He will always faithfully watch over your soul to keep you as a true believer in him. And he will lead you step by step and you will know the reality of this into greater obedience to the Lord so that you can look back in your life and say I'm not the person that I once was not only before I was saved but I'm not the same person that I was when I was first saved because the Holy Spirit has been leading me into the truth and giving me the power and the strength and the wisdom to know how to keep his commandments in such a way That I can glorify the Father. So we're led into all the truth of our need to see the need of Christ's grace to do what will please Him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this message of the the leading of your good spirit in our life. We pray that we would take heart as we hear these truths and we see your strength, O Christ to have overcome the evil one, overcome all temptation, never sinned once in your perfect obedience, and that you suffered and died on our behalf. You became obedient even to the point of death, the death on the cross on our behalf. And so help us to see that, but help us also to realize uh, and to give thanks for the gift of the Holy Spirit who we are sealed by to the to the day of our full redemption. And we thank you for the great work that's going on in our lives as Christians. We pray that we would not be grieving you, O Holy Spirit, but be led sweetly along the path of righteousness into all the truth of your blessed word. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.